Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. This is episode one of a two-episode Road to CIM series. I'm so excited to be partnering with CIM on this. Also, I'll be in town at the California International Marathon doing live shows all weekend long. I cannot wait. Going to Sacramento for this race is something that I've done almost every year over the last five years. And I'm so glad because it really is a wonderful race and a wonderful opportunity. This year, it is the last day of the OTQ window. That's right. On Big Trials Qualifiers, CIM is the last day. So in today's episode, we're talking to Henry Sterling and Katrina Spratford Sterling about their experiences at the 2019 CIM race where they both got their Olympic trials qualifying times ahead of the 2020 trials. Talk all about the race logistics, how to handle the groups, how to handle the race, and just their own experiences in the race. Now, Katrina and Henry are married now. They weren't at the time. They were together, though. But their race day experiences, while similar in the sense that they're both race, both marathon debuts and they both were going for the trials qualifying times, were very different. So I think people can really gain a lot of knowledge, not only from both of them generally, but specifically from each of them because their experiences were both so different. Before we get into it, I want to shout out our sponsor, Ola Dance. I am such a big fan of the OWS2 headphones. They are absolutely phenomenal. 19 hours of battery life, unbelievable high quality sound, and the open ear design allows you to hear everything around you. These are not bone conduction headphones. I've used bone conduction headphones in the past. They're fine, but the quality of the listening is not that great. These are a completely different level, but are just as safe. And they're kind of like earbuds in terms of like, they're not connected in the back. In wintertime, you can have the beanie on, you can have the hat on, and it's not gonna be this kind of rigmarole in terms of fit it all into your winter hat. They are so good, so high quality, and I cannot recommend them enough. Go to oladance.com, that's O-L-A-D-A-N-C-E, oladance.com forward slash rambling, and use code rambling to save 20% on your purchase today. Now, let's get into my episode with Henry and Katrina. All right, this is going to be a special podcast. We are joined by by Katrina Spratford Sterling and Henry Sterling. Katrina, you've actually been on the on the Rambling Runner podcast before, several years ago, talking about this topic. Of course, back then I think you were just Katrina Spratford. It was not Katrina Spratford yeah. Sterling at that moment, but Henry Correct. Sterling is here as well. This is going to be such a fun CIM episode. Actually, I should say before we even get into it. I had a chance to talk to both of you in person just a couple of weeks ago at the McCurdy Micromarathon, which was, again, a very OTQ-focused race. And here we are talking about CIM 2023. So before we get into you know the, the race day specifics, the logistics leading into the race and all of that, I guess, Katrina, I'll start with you. And Henry, you know, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this as well. Back in 2019, CIM was the debut marathon for both of you. So Katrina, I know your path to race day was one with a lot of twists and turns, but what what about CIM back then um, brought it to your attention as that was the race that you wanted to make your marathon debut? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having us. Great to be back a couple years later here. Um, yeah. So it's CIM 2019. Honestly, it was one of those like last chance Hail Mary decisions where I had been battling a, an injury for a long time. I thought, you know, my running career potentially was coming to an end. And so 
I thought, you know what? We're so close to 2020. Why don't you just give it a shot? Like go to CIM. It's notorious for being fast and a great like OTQ spot. A lot of people have run really, really well there. And I knew it was going to be a huge group of women getting after it and trying to qualify. So that kind of ultimately helped in my decision. And, you know, I was able to put together five or six weeks of training to to get that OTQ. So it's a little bit of a wild ride, but yeah. Right. And we, and we should put in the show notes, like you talked about this entire topic on the Rambling Runner podcast a couple of years ago. So people are like, hey, that's an interesting story. Well, you can go check it out. Not right now. Keep listening. You can, yeah. li- you can listen to that later. But we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Henry, back then, I know you were both living in the great state of Rhode Island, where I'm living right now. And you were part of a running group here uh, based out of the Providence area. Can you take me back to that time for you about why CIM was also your debut marathon and some of your thought process leading into that race? Yeah, um, thought process was, you know, at the time, I think I was starting to feel like I could do those longer workouts and those long runs and just kind of had more enjoyment um, doing the longer runs and feeling like that was more my strength. Um, Kind of like thinking back to my start of my running career, it's like, oh, I was playing soccer, but like, why is the coach putting me in the midfield all the time? It's like, well, I like to run. I'm doing most of the running. Um, So like, maybe I should focus on running. So like, as my running career continued, I kind of started to think like, well, actually I enjoy like the longer drawn out like pain versus like a quick pain, like a mile or a 5k. Um, so, so my thought going through into that summer was like, well, let's try a half and kind of see how I respond to that. So I ran Hartford. Um, and then my coach and I decided like, yeah, CAM is going to set up really well. Um, they do a, a wonderful job with, you know, everyone that's coming in to, to either hit this, the OTQ or to, you know, race even faster than that. Um, so we thought it was just a great setup that it was going to be. And, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to give it a shot and kind of see what I could do over the full marathon. Now, can you go back to that time period and think about like, like what was the impression, Henry, that CIM had on you in terms of it being a great spot for this sort of thing? Again, you're, you're someone who was at the time living in Rhode Island, who had never run a marathon before. So what were the key ingredients that maybe CIM brought to the table that maybe you didn't think you could get at maybe a more local race where, you know, travel wouldn't have been, you know, as much of an issue? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think just like I said, the way that CAM supports not only like the uh, like elite, elite professional athletes um, and the way that they also support the athletes like myself and Katie at the time were like, obviously, we're professional in, in our mindsets, but not necessarily being paid. We're, we're working and, you know, trying to figure out our schedules. Um, they still like reached out and supported us in a way that made us feel like we were professionals. Um, and the point to point course, I think also was um, a big plus just, you know, being able to run, you know, from one end um, of California to the other. And then obviously like the down net downhill uh, up until, you know, it wasn't, um, let's say David Monty said like, it was like as much as you can get downhill that was not, um, you know, a legal course. So uh, all of those factors definitely played into it. I'll add as well, the weather is always just pretty ideal around that time of year. You know, December in New England is pretty rough and so just kind of getting out to the West Coast and, you know, having that perfect condition, you know, uh, was perfect for us. So I'm going to read yeah, that. Yeah, and obviously that's, that's okay. I hated that. And that's, and that's a huge consideration, right? I mean, we see this all the time. I mean, if you look at like oftentimes Chicago's was a flat, fast race, but it can get super hot. We've seen that last year, Monumental. It was like raining buckets and 20 mile an hour winds. Like that can be again. I was there for that people one. T- 
Yeah, that's really tough, especially people who are super goal oriented of like, hey, I'm not just here to like run my best. I'm coming in for a time, whether it's the OTQ time, the BQ time or an arbitrary goal that someone has that can get so tricky. And it is it's one of those things where like, you know, with high level athletes like yourself, the idea of controlling the controllables is so important. And you feel like you're you know, controlling it by like choosing a race that typically is moderate and from a temperature, you know, temperature standpoint, but like you also never know at the same time. Well, let's talk about the process by which, I guess the communication process you went through. Um, Katie, I'll start with you in terms of working with CIM to, I guess, prepare for that OT, being in that OTQ group. Right. So walk me through the communication process, either that you had to initiate and or that they came back to you with to make sure that you were prepared for that day, that they knew that you would potentially be in that group and and the, the sorts of things that I guess needed to be communicated ahead of time. Those are all great questions. Um, at the time, I believe my coach reached out for me. However, it was tricky because I had never really run a half. I had never run a marathon, so I really didn't have any times to present to them like yes i can be in this field and i'm ready to go so i really had to recall kind of like going back to um my cross country season and my spring track season and saying hey you know i made a few u.s teams i placed 14th at u.s cross i ran 1602 at pen relays you know i tried to just like recall some race results and put it out there and say i'd really like to be part of this elite field, you know, please let me know if I can get any support. And at that time, really, it was like, can I just get a bib to be on the starting line? You know, they have different levels of support. So it's like, okay, can you get a bib and have a spot on the line? Can you get a bib and a spot on the line and bottles, right? So there's like a couple different layers there. And I was really fortunate to be put into the elite field where I would have my own bottles along the way and have access to the bus, to the starting line and all of that. So I felt very fortunate and super grateful that they got back to me and accepted me into the elite field. Yeah, for sure. And Henry, had you ever been a part of something like that in terms of being in the elite field and negotiating the logistics behind it? Um, not to that extent for um, CIM with that number of people. Um, I think Hartford, I ran to kind of show that I, you know, I deserve to be in the field. Um, so that was maybe like obviously much smaller and a, you know, a small, a shorter race as well. But yeah, I mean, just the, all the, like the logistics, kind of what Katie was talking about of like, yes, you can have a bib. Okay. Now you can have bibs and a table, um, sort of all that stuff. So I got a bib, I didn't get the bottles. So I actually just kind of ran with gels and had cups. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, uh, that was a, a kind of like an unknown, a huge unknown going into it, like how you're going to respond to that. Um, so I feel like that was just kind of a, you know, we're going to do our best to set ourselves up and we'll see what happens. And I know in that, at that time within your group, there was a third person, I think there's probably more than three, but Aaron Dinzio was also someone who like was in that group, who was in the same boat as you guys, who you know, went to CIM and also ran very well and qualified for the trials. But were you in communication with anybody else who was kind of in that mix of like, hey, we're kind of going, we're, we're going there for all the same reasons. Let's kind of communicate ahead of time, either like former college peers or just people you met on the circuit. I guess, Henry, I'll start with you. Like, were you, was there a, I guess, some sort of like communication, like, you know, underground communication portal where people were communicating ahead of time? Because like, you know, we see the images from that day. Everyone seems so united. I was always curious what that was like heading into the race in that regard. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think 
runners in in that particular race uh it's like we're, we're all in this together kind of mindset um so i quickly made some friends like yeah like you said aaron dinsey obviously was there and we knew each other we had been training together he had some friends from colorado that were there and I, you know we all kind of on the start line or like on the warm up, just kind of linked linked up and talked and you know like you said everyone's there to meet reach that goal um so there is definitely that feeling of unity while you're running um i think in general that like running has that um at its core which is amazing about it uh, but then yeah like everyone going for the same goal um just kind of brings it out even more so definitely there are times where like hey someone dropped a bottle someone missed a bottle um someone needs more than the help with a gel or whatever you can kind of just talk to each other share those things um and then yeah, just try to support everyone that's around you so definitely in the moment you know you try to find those people that you had connected with earlier and just sort of maybe just get a quick tap and say hey i'm right here or you know um, if you need help, I, I've got I've got a water or a bottle. If you need it, how about you, Katie? Yeah, so we had another teammate, Alpse Baru, who had just moved to Arizona earlier that year. So we were no longer training together, but knew that she was going to be there, um, targeting a pretty fast race. She's she's definitely a marathoner at heart, so um, I knew she was going to like get after it. And she ended up running like two thirty. She ran really really well. Um, oh yeah, she was like she ran incredibly well. That day. Yeah, she got that. second, I think. She she crushed it. Um, so that was super cool, and I knew <laughs> I wasn't gonna be up there. Um, but honestly, I think I knew of a few people just in the running world that were gonna be there, but I I hadn't really reached out to anyone. Again, it was such a new distance for me that I was just kind of like, kind of had my blinders on and just focused on what I needed to do to get to the starting line and and get to the finish line. Um, but out there, you know, in the race. Yeah, the camaraderie is incredible. You're right. Like, it looked like we had all known each other forever, but I had never met those women before. And we just kind of linked up uh, within the first mile and stuck together for 22 miles, you know, and, and I now have a bond for life. <laughs> no, for say, sure, you, for sure. Katie, do you still talk to, like, I know you was, um, I forget her name, but, like, you met someone in that Angela. race. That... Angela, that's right. Angela Mole, yeah. She and I became, like, buddies and we still check in with each other regularly and kind of cheer each, on, each other on from afar and yeah she's now like a lifelong bud oh my gosh that is awesome i can't <laughs> wait to talk about these groups i, I do like um as much as i want to just dive into that right now i'm like trying to show restraint so i like kind of like build up to it but it's definitely like the highlight of this experience and it, it really is fascinating i'm sure for the not only the competitors but also the fans as well katie as you're Preparing for that day from afar, again, as, as Rhode Islander at that point, what was it like for you and your coach, and Henry, I'm going to ask you the same question, in terms of preparing for what the race course holds? And you, we've already talked about, hey, this is a net downhill, but especially now after running this course, it's not like this linear downward path. Right. I mean, in fact, if if I've said this before on the podcast and people who've heard this, I'm sure are going to roll their eyes because I've said it so many times. But if like you go look at someone's Strava from CIM, the gap pace is actually faster than the real pace because there are plenty of uphills. It just happens to be one of those like two steps up, three steps down kind of courses. But there's plenty of steps up. So how did you and your coach prepare for race day, not only from a pace perspective, but from a managing the course perspective? Yeah, we did a lot of workouts in Lincoln Woods in Rhode Island, which is this 
maybe oh, just shy of th- <laughs> Yeah, we would do, you know, 10 mile tempos on this. I don't know. It's maybe like a three mile loop or I can't quite remember anymore, but it's very hilly. It's rolling hills. And that was a really great way to train the quads and just be prepared for that net downhill. Because I would say, yeah, in that like 18, 19, 20 mile range, you could certainly feel the the downhill and the impact it has on the quad so we really tried to focus on just getting on rolling hills at marathon pace that's great and were you aware like were you surprised on race day by the topography of the course or do you feel like you had it pretty well pretty well known in terms of the the up and down undulation yeah i felt prepared i didn't really ever feel like the uphills were that intense i felt you know I don't remember any of them sticking out to the point where I was like, oh my gosh, that hill was really hard. It was just kind of like, okay, we're kind of going up and now we're definitely going down. And um, it didn't ever feel like I wasn't prepared for that. Right. I always want to bring this up because I know like some people view this as like, oh, it's downhill. So it's always going to be downhill. I remember running myself. Being next to people were like, what is this uphill doing here? <laughs> like it's not, you know, like there are uphills here, but also, yes. and again, I love CAM. This is part of the CAM series. But if you look at the, the elevation map on their website, it is like, it's almost like the Strava map, but rounded. So it kind of like sands down the uphills and the downhills. So Henry, same question to you. How did you, how did you, how did you go about researching the course and what you needed to do to be prepared for race day and and how did that end up matching what you saw during the race yeah so we approached it my coach and i approached it like half marathon plus a little bit training so it wasn't necessarily like i was doing a ton of uh super high mileage um and you know we stuck with long runs around 20 to 22 like maybe one 24 miler in there um in terms of the terrain we um my coach would really loves like just being strong and doing like a lot of strength work so we would use grass in the fall you know like tire the legs out um we would do long runs um if you're a rhode island rhode islander you know of the like arcadia management area um those rolling hills there so every um, time i run on there and i check the segments your name is always in the top three on all the segments this is how this is how i remember it's like oh yes that's right henry sterling every time i run through arcadia i'm reminded of the henry sterling cim buildup because you have all the segments from there well every segment i have comes with an asterisk because i ran with jim spizak who was always faster than me and always ahead of me so he just didn't have a gps watch <laughs> um but yeah we use that a lot for, for long runs um you know the, the hills there obviously are, are pretty substantial if you um go out and do the the big lollipop loop um and then yeah we used the bike path lincoln woods uh, as well lincoln bike path um so yeah we kind of mixed in a lot and there were times kind of what katie was saying like if we had a specific uh hilly tempo that was focused like lincoln woods was probably where we're gonna go for that um but yeah just as a whole like i said it was a a very uh kurt's ideal was like let's go at it with a half marathon to get there healthy and strong um and then maybe for the trials we're gonna go a little bit more bang for your buck and try to get in a full marathon build absolutely and we should give kudos to both of your coaches at this time where we've referenced them several times now katie who was your coach and henry who was your coach yeah, we had the same coach, Kurt Benninger. He's amazing. Absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, we were with him through New England Distance. And now it's turned into Rhode Island Track Club. Right. And a lot of great athletes have come through there. That is for sure. All right. So we don't have to go too deep into your own personal buildups. As fascinating as I am with them, I get the point of this is really the CIM OTQ process and going through this, this group 
on race day and the logistics before then as well. So let's kind of fast forward to the first weekend of December 2019 as you guys make your way out to Sacramento. Um, I guess briefly, especially Katie, because I know that they handled your bottles as well. I'd love to hear about the logistics around race day weekend in terms of like when you got there, providing bottles to the organizers as well as just like the process by which you found out like, all right, here's the bus schedule and here's everything I need to know. And obviously Henry add in your experiences as well, but I'd love to hear, especially cause you have the bottle service. I think that adds an element to it that I want to make sure that we cover. Absolutely. A lot of the events took place at the meet hotel. They gave us an itinerary, you know, laid out an email with, you know, okay, from this time to this time, you're going to drop off your bottles. When you bring your bottles, you know, you have to have them laid out for each specific table. So make sure they have exactly what you need in it with your name and all that. So you had to have all your details on your bottles. You had to drop them off, get that all settled. And then we went right into a technical meeting where they covered all of race day logistics. So what time is the bus? What to do when we get there? We'll have a specific elite tent with our own porta potties. Um, when to get to the starting line. I mean, they really detailed it out so you didn't have to think about it. You know how you have like race day brain? Um, it was super helpful to have kind of like a checklist of things that I didn't really have to think too hard about and just kind of like follow the itinerary. Absolutely. And Henry, what do you remember from that day, the, the lead up in the logistical communication? Yeah, so I had to go to the convention center to, um, you know, get my bib and I didn't have the bottle service, obviously, but uh, I thought the convention center was really well laid out, you know, just kind of a consistent sort of line as you go through and you can see a lot of pop-ups and, um, you know, get some samples and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it had, they gave you a very wide window of when you needed to do that. Um, so I had no issues with that as well. It was very smooth sailing. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I just had the, the water stops throughout the race to, to focus on and had my gels and everything. So not having the bottles, I think was almost like one less thing to think about. Obviously it's more beneficial to have that, but, uh, going into that, I think it was probably better for me to have one less thing on my brain. <laughs> All right. Now this is not like official, but like, where do you guys go for dinner the night before? Right. You're, you're in a new city, right? But at the same time, you got to make sure you get like the good, you know, night before meal. So, uh, I guess where did you go and, and who was and who were you with? I'm, I wonder how big the group you were rolling with. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, remember, I think I... we cooked for ourselves. Did we? Oh, right, Henry. Yeah, we, right? we, we, we were with John Bladay. So yeah. we were with John Bladay, who ran at Dartmouth, who was yeah. also trying to OTQ, Aaron Dinzio, Henry and myself. And we I believe we cooked dinner. We went to Trader Joe's, picked up some like rice and like kind of like bland food and made our own yeah. meal. Yeah. I was going to say another thing like, yeah, just I hadn't thought about before is like, you know, coach was like, cut out the vegetables a little bit because we don't want too much fiber. So, you know, I, was, I, I think I asked, um, you know, our friend Matt Lano, uh, you know, what, what's something you eat? And he was like, chicken and rice is always a good staple, easy bland uh, meal to go with. I think I did that maybe like a potato, um, but mm -hmm. it was pretty, pretty basic. <laughs> And Katie Matt is like that. known as like a high level chef too. Like anyone who's yes. read Matt Fitzgerald's book when he was with Nazalite, I felt like an entire chapter was dedicated to Matt's culinary prowess. I'm at his house sure right now. I agree. We're like cooking up a storm. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow. Okay. Well, there we go. All right. See, Matt Yano makes an appearance. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That is too funny. All right. Talk to me about race day morning because and this is a point-to-point a, a -point race, as many people know. With that said, it 
ends in downtown Sacramento, right in front of the Capitol, which is basically where most people stay, right? Unless some people have an Airbnb, maybe it's closer um, to the starting line, but most people will be, if they're not local to the Sacramento area, will be staying in downtown Sacramento and then taking the bus to the starting line. Again, this is everybody. When I, when I ran the race, again, I was on one of these buses as well. We all kind of meet up, but talk to me about like your buses, like I guess how many were there, like in in terms of just like the process by which you had to get up in the morning and get on this bus to then transport you to the starting line, which obviously is you know roughly you know a thirty mile drive from where you were staying. Yeah, I actually think that we had two separate plans. Um, I was debating back and forth because I had access to the bus, and Henry and Aaron did not have access to the bus, so. I this is great. This is why this is going to work so well, because you guys had two very different experiences. So people who have different experiences are going to get complete. I get all the information they're going to need. Yeah, I think I had access to the bus. So I was like, OK, I'm going to wake up at I can't quite remember. 345 or something. I was going to walk. Hella I had early. Maybe... I'll say hella because yeah. we're talking about California. Hella yeah. early. Hella early. And I had maybe a half mile walk or so from our Airbnb to where the buses were. So I just walked on over, kind of hung out in the meat hotel until everyone was ready to load up. I do remember there being quite a bit of buses. There was a handful of them, but I think there was maybe only one or two for the elite field. So we had to get on those buses and then we were on our way, but it was pretty simple, um, very early. But funny enough, I remember getting on the highway and we actually were stuck on the on-ramp. There was like an odd amount of traffic. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I did I make the wrong decision? <laughs> like maybe I should have gone with Henry in the car, but um, it was all great and perfectly fine. But I was like, why is there traffic at four in the morning? <laughs> so Henry, you took a car to the starting line? I actually biked as part of my warm-up, um, just a quick 26. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I was very lucky in that my friend John um, had his brother-in-law, Christian, there who had a car, <laughs> rental car. So... Yeah, luckily Christian was up and ready for uh, you know the um, the shuttle service at three thirty. So he drove us to as far as he could get us to, and then we took a shuttle. Um, obviously, you couldn't get to the start with the car. They took, and then we took a shuttle from like maybe like a mile away um, to the to the start line. But I do know Aaron and his friends. I think ran into a bit of trouble trying to find a lift. Um, but shocker, not too many people were up at at that time. <laughs> No, not many. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and most of them were in most of the Lyft and Uber drivers were in Sacramento, like driving people to the buses that were then yeah. taking them to the race, the, the starting line. Uh, I remember opening up my like my my app that morning, just seeing Uber drivers just circling the capital, basically trying to pick people up to take them to the buses um, who, who are like, you know, a little bit, a little bit farther away from a walking from a walking perspective. <laughs> All right. So. You guys get to near, near the starting line. I, I, One of my enduring memories of the CIM starting line is like I've never seen a string of porta potties go longer in my life. It's just it's endless. Like you can complete a full warm up and not reach the end of this porta potty line. However, that's for the, 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 the massive runners. Right. I wasn't sure. Again, maybe Henry, maybe that, that, that applied to you in terms of your own race day preparation. But again, that's. I'm now framing this as a porta potty conversation. That is not what was not my intention. The morning, that morning, once you get there, talk to me about like what it was like for you in terms of preparing yourself for race day. But at the same time, it's not like a local 5K where you get there at like just the perfect time. You start your warm up, you throw in a couple strides, and then you start. Right. So how, like Katie, I'll start with you. How did you plan that morning of to make sure that you were 
rested and ready, but still warmed up for the race, knowing that there's going to be an inordinate amount of time to do all of those things and still like chill out. Yeah. So I actually remember the bus ride was quite a, you know, it's 26 miles away. So it was a good 30 or so minutes on the bus. And that honestly gave me time to just kind of sit and reflect and kind of mentally get in a good spot and think about, you know, my process and remind myself of my race plan and kind of just like go through the race a little bit in my head. And, um, I remember actually texting my parents and I started to tear up a little bit. I was like, today's the day it's going to happen. Like I just felt it. I knew it was going to happen. So I felt really calm. Um, but then as far as getting to the actual start line, I would say, um, I think runners are creatures of habit. I have the same race day routine, no matter what race I'm doing. So typically about an hour out is when I'll start dynamic stretches and, do a really easy shakeout. So for the marathon, it did 10 minutes, super, super slow, really, really easy, just kind of up and down the street. Um, And then just kind of go through my normal process of drills and some strides, some bathroom, you know, last minute bathroom stops, rolling out anything that felt tight. But I really pretty much do the same thing before every race. All right, quick break to talk about John G. Winter is around the corner. I just did leaves for 10 hours this weekend. That means that winter is coming quick and John G is just released. I shouldn't say is releasing. They just released their brand new winter gear. It is so good. John G has a five-year run guarantee, unbelievably high quality products and a wide array of design choices from the ones that you would expect in terms of colors and a little more eclectic. And depending on your style, there's no limit to what you can get at John G. In addition to that, it's just the highest quality stuff out there. I've been wearing John G pants for a long time. I'm actually wearing John G pants right now as I record this. I've had them for over two years. They are just as good as when I bought them. The five-year run guarantee is real. If you go to johng.com and use code rambling, you're going to save 15% on your order today. Also, they have a great sales page and the code works for that too. So even if you want to get products or a little bit discounted. You can use, you can do that. You can use the code and save on that stuff. It is so good. And once you buy John G, you're not going to go anywhere else because it really is that good. So go to johng.com today and use code rambling to save 15% on your order. And how about you, Henry? How much time did you have pre-race and what were you able to do during that time? Well, like Katie said, I think we, I think I might've gone there before her just because of her bus delay, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, generally the same amount of time uh, when we got there. I, I like I always try to have something to eat three and a half hours out. So right when I got up at three thirty, I had a bagel um, because that was three and a half hours until race time. Um, you know, just try to have something like that to kind of settle my stomach. Um, making sure little things like you know, you like what Katie said, race day brain can kind of sometimes like wait, how do I do this? So you want to make sure you have like all those little things of like, is it a tons that you're gonna want? You're gonna want a gas X pill. Um, where are your gels? Do you have them? Um, you know, just little things like that. I made sure I like had any possible thing I might want. My coach is like, maybe even bring a rice crispy. Cause you don't know, like you might want a little sugar right before you hop on the line, which I did. Um, and I just made sure I kind of like the marathon warm up cause it is so simple. It's like a, a jog, some stretching. And then like, you know, you're going to run for over two hours. So you're going to warm up into it. Um, so it's not like a track race where you kind of have to be like sharp and ready to go right off the line. It's more just like a, I want to, can I cut you off there for a second? Go for it. I want want to cut you off there for a second because I totally get that the whole, like I'm warming into this. This is going to be a two, two and a half hour, roughly, you know, endeavor at the same time, 
you guys were working with very specific splits and a very narrow window of a time range. So like, I can totally imagine so many people, including myself, have taken that approach to warm up. At the same time, it's not like you had a ton of time to play with from a range perspective. So how did that play into, again, you've run marathons since then. So if you look back at that race day morning under the guise of, okay, now that it's been four years and I've run other races, how conscious were you about being race ready right from the gun because you had to hit certain times in order to get the ultimate goal? Yeah. And I think I, what I went into it was, again, I think I had a little bit of the ignorance is bliss of going into it of like, I'm not sure exactly like how I'm going to feel or how this is going to feel. And so I knew like the general idea of my warm up is my normal an hour out, like I'm going to do some stretching, you know, calm myself. Um, kind of what Katie said is like, think about things that maybe give me like the feeling of, um, you know, confidence and, and calmness um, and then do my, my 10 minute jog. And then I get, I understand what you're saying. It's like, you, you want to be ready on the start line, but my coach was all about like, we don't want to feel like we have to go out and attack and like, Oh, I'm two seconds slow. I need to jump up. Cause that's where in the marathon, you're just going to start wasting some energy. Um, and then you can really make up a lot of ground. Um, even if you do go slow, slow through a half, you know, you have that whole second half to really start working. Um, and so I kind of just had that mindset, like, I'm not going to worry about my first mile, definitely not going to worry about my first 400 meters, you know, it doesn't really matter what I go out this first little bit. I'm just going to just stay calm and kind of find my pace group, find my teammate and just um, find that rhythm of what the, the, the pace should feel like. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about pace groups and the orientation therein. Henry, I'll start with you. What was it like, you know, in terms of finding that OTQ pace group, where you orientated yourself in it, I guess, just like right at the starting line? Right. Especially again, as a reminder, this is your debut marathon, right? So your debut marathon, you're in this OTQ group. And I guess like who was like the leader of this group? Was there a designated leader? Was there people who just were more experienced who took the lead? Walk me through some of that pre-race orientation within that pack. Yeah. So we had um, obviously just we had our teammates, my teammate right there and my friend John. We kind of found each other on the line. Um, they did have a pacer, obviously, up in the front, so it was a lot of just let them go out, give them the space, um, and and try not to worry too much about what other people are doing. We kind of have our own personal goals. Obviously, everyone has the end goal in mind, but, you know, people approach the race differently, so maybe someone wants to go out and bank a little time. Um, so my my coach and I talked a lot about just, you know, feeling the rhythm of the, of the race, staying smooth, staying calm through those first... A uh, few miles and just working with Aaron really was the goal. Of course, in a Henry way, I uh, I got split up with Aaron in the first like 400 meters or so, and I I was like, well, I can see him. He's right there, so like I'm, I I know where he is. I don't need to like go next to him. <laughs> so I think he and I literally ran like you know 200 meters apart the whole race. <laughs> but uh, but it worked out. <laughs> so how many people were like on the starting line? Was there a clear demarcation? of like these people are in the OTQ pack? Like can, can you, can you, I guess, paint the picture for me, you know, like what that group looks like compared to like a, a general starting line where there's just a mass of people. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, it was like the elite with bottles up in front of us. Um, we were the very next section behind with the people that got a bib, but maybe didn't have bottles. Um, so there is definitely that like separation at the beginning, which is why it was important at, at and the start line to maybe have a cut, clear cut spot 
kind of up near the front of that group. Um, and then I think as it traveled back, obviously you start having the the pace markers of the people are running three hours and 315, et cetera, kind of behind there. So there, I think it was like that elite group and then us and then the, the pace markers behind. Gotcha. All right. And Katie, I'd love to hear about how you approached race day logistics in terms of who you wanted to run with and the decisions that you made to strategize for your best race. Yeah. And something I actually forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about the technical meeting was we discussed in depth the the pace plan. You know, we had the we had several guy pacers who stood up, you know, said a little something and <clears throat> gave us their plan for the day. And, you know, they told us that they would absolutely secure our bubble. Right. So they knew that the OTQ was for these women who are getting after it and nobody else could come in that bubble. And I really appreciated that. I liked that they were going to give us that space and not, um, you know, allow other people to come in and kind of like ride off of that. Um, it was really meant to be like, this is a, a very specific group of women that are getting after it. And um, I appreciated that they were willing to kind of protect us in that way and, and help us kind of eliminate any extra bodies in that pack because they knew it was going to be roughly 100 women. Like, I think it was about 100 women in that group. So going into the race, I talked at length with Kurt um, and I typically trained on my own. So I wasn't used to running in a big group of women. And I thought that the best setup for myself was to be just in front of that group. And we talked, we went back and forth about it. And I just personally thought I felt more comfortable being slightly ahead of that group, not being in the mixture. I think I was really nervous about the bottles and the tables and getting kind of like tripped up or like missing them. So... I just made the decision to kind of start in front of that group and settle into my own pace and kind of just put blinders on. I really just wanted to like execute my plan on the day. And I thought, again, I think Henry and I had slightly different plans. Like you were right. Henry had like a very small margin, right? You didn't have a ton of room for error because you had to be pretty specific to hit that time. For me, I felt like the 245 mark was doable. I just was coming off of an injury. So my whole plan was how easy can you run to get that standard? Like run as easy as possible to hit the mark. I wasn't trying to run the fastest I had ever run or up to my potential. It was really just like get the job done. So I had a little bit of a different plan of attack, I think, than Henry. Um, and that's changed, honestly, since like now the, the standard's 236 or 237. Um, that's changed a little bit. But anyway, uh, my plan was to just stay in front of that group. I linked up with a couple women within the first mile and we just yeah hung together we talked a lot we kind of encouraged each other i think i told them to you know stay calm stay patient you know let's not get ahead of ourselves and stay as relaxed as possible for as long as possible so that was kind of my attack for the day yeah i want to dive into this more because i can imagine people going into this and viewing and viewing the cim uh setup as a huge positive but at the same time just like you mentioned like viewing running in a group as something that would potentially take energy from them as opposed to provide them energy, right? And mm -hmm. 
if that's the situation for somebody, obviously you want people to do what's best for them. But I can imagine people also being like, but I'm not sure what to do. Should I run in front of the group? I don't want that to be a faux pas and and being really unsure of themselves. So if you wouldn't mind just diving further into your decision making process in terms of like, all right, we're just going to be a little bit ahead of this group and we're going to be, you know, doing this in a, in a, in a, in a small cohort instead of the bigger cohort in the decision making process to get there. Because I can imagine a lot of people weighing the pros and cons here and not being sure which to choose. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely was a big decision. I think I even thought about it like the night of the race, like, is this the right thing for me? What should I do? And ultimately, again, I think it just comes down to you trusting your instincts and trusting your gut. Like, I felt confident in my pacing abilities. I felt like I was able to like click off those miles pretty easily. Um, Not easily, but I knew that I I could get in that rhythm and and click it off. Um, And ultimately, I just felt better being in a smaller group. I just knew that I think I would get distracted and a little overwhelmed and I didn't know if, how the pacers were gonna be. Were they gonna, you know, yo-yo a little bit? Was the pace gonna speed up and then slow down? Was I gonna get stuck behind a ton of people? Like, I just didn't know and I just felt more confident and and more calm about my decision to just kind of do what I needed to do on the day. Um, so that's kind of what led me to go ahead a little bit and and feel good there. So how did you and the other women, how did you guys create that little mini group? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I literally think it was within the first mile. A bunch of women went out pretty fast. You know, we had that like 230, sub 230 group. And then we had a hundred women behind us in that, you know, OTQ group. And it was literally like, okay, what's your goal for the day? Like, hi, I'm Katie. You know, like, I'm trying to qualify, are you? And it was like, yep, yep, okay, cool. Let's just hang together. And she was like, yeah, Angela was like, yeah, I just want to stay in control through halfway at least. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's our goal. And so we just like, every mile, we just like, we're like, yep, good, we're good, we're good. And we just kind of (laughs) formed a little friendship there, which was really, really special. There you go. All right, Henry, say if you we talk about, say, the first half, right? So the first 13 to 15 miles, which, you know, for a lot of people is obviously you're putting in an effort, but it's ideally trying to be pretty controlled, right? You're setting yourself up for hopefully success in the final, you know, 10K or so, especially if you're really pushing the boundaries of what, what you can do on that day. So talk to me about how you folded into the group once you, you kind of closed that gap from like the from your starting point into the group and then also just the communication or lack of communication i guess ultimately what was the di- dynamics between you and the runners that you were around during those you know that opening half marathon yeah there have been kind of like two moments in my running career that like really stick in my mind one of them is that that cim first uh you know uh half where it's just a whole bunch of guys running together the other one is uh my first ever uh, a cross-country race um, at Lehigh where it's like you have 300 guys starting on the cross-country course and you just hear each other running and breathing. Um, that's what I thought about when I started this CIM race was like I've been here before I actually like I find it comfortable uh, kind of being uh, packed in there like a sardine. Um, maybe that's a personality difference between Katie and I. <laughs> Katie sets her own path a little bit and I'm just like oh I'll go with this group this is fun. Um, so I actually really didn't mind being part of like the big wave. Um, I feed off that energy. Um, 
just like I just found it easier to kind of shut off and not even worry about people's watches beeping at different times. I'm like, guys, we're, we're all running the same race. Um, you know, let's not worry too much about it. So I think um, there wasn't a ton of communication. Obviously, when you get to the bottles or the water stops, it's a lot of like looking around and saying like, hey, I'm, I'm coming in or, you know, you have to slow down or jostle a little bit. But that's just all like respectful part of the race. Um, and then, like I said earlier, you know, I packed my shorts with extra gels and packed my arm sleeves with gels. I made sure I had plenty. Um, so if, if there was a moment and then runners that did have bottles were also sharing their bottles. So I tried to get every water station, every water cup crush and drink and, you know, take my gels with that. And, um, yeah, I feel like the communication was, was great and very positive, kind of like what we've been saying this whole, like it's a group goal to get to that time. Um, and you just want to have as many guys as you can to, to get there. Cause you, especially in that second half of the race, that's where you're going to need that, that group to continue to kind of push you along. So you're all running. There's not a lot of chatter, but was it quiet or was it loud? Cause there's a lot of people kind of around you. Yeah. I think CAM definitely had points where I was like, Oh, this is amazing. This is a, a lot of people out here on this course. You know, I was thinking on the drive home today, kind of what, um, <clears throat> a point to point course versus a loop course, you know, which one's going to get you probably more of the spectators. And I feel like maybe it comes down to just the race in general and CIM, I think had a great, uh, turnout in general for people coming to cheer. Um, and then, like I said, you know, when you're running around that large group of guys and I think everyone's like, obviously a little, we're a little nervous. It's early in the race, you know, uh, there's, there are the nerves there that are going to be kind of bubbling up a little bit. And everyone's just like, all right, guys, stay calm. Like if we're, accidentally bump or clip you like just you know give it a little extra space um because that stuff happens but like i said it's just uh just more of like the group effort that kind of came through i remember watching a video after the fact and it was um i think everyone was basically i think everyone in the group it was the men's group of this video that i vividly recall and it was like everyone was wearing the vapor flies so it was yeah. like it was like that the classic vapor fly sound of the midsole yeah, yeah, compression the but it was like it was like a it was like a gang of bees had flown yes. by. Like it was like this. It was quiet because no one was talking, but it wasn't a quiet group. Like there was the loudness mm -hmm. of the collective was definitely there. It was it was a unique thing to like actually witness. I got to witness the same thing at the McCurdy Micro Marathon to a lesser extent, which you actually paced. But it was like the same sort of vibe of like it's quiet, like a library, but it's not quiet because all these books are closing. Like in a really active <laughs> library, it's like that same kind of genre. It's like yeah, a sea totally. of neon like green the... running by, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right. So, Henry, when do you recall your group starting to, again, this is just your recollection of your race, right? This doesn't mean like this is the definitive moment, right? But when do you recall they're starting to be splinters in your group, not just like one person here, but there starts to be either a stringing out process, or maybe you can recall people starting to falter. Maybe they're hanging on, but you can tell like this, they might not be long for the group at this point. When can you recall that sort of vibe starting to entering, start to enter your, your consciousness of the race? Yeah, I'd say about halfway is when we were definitely starting to string out it wasn't necessarily like that big huge group at that point um there are still quite a few of us obviously in that pack moving forward and then when you get into those like 16 17 18 miles that's where you start to see um maybe the the ones that the gels aren't really sitting well or maybe some that were coming in nursing something that just like pops up and they start to fall off a little bit um so definitely like 
I feel like the the race goes from like, you know, everyone is in it to win it at uh, from zero to 13. And then when you get to 13 to 18, there's suddenly like maybe two races happening and, um, you know, little packs of uh, groups of guys. Um, and then I feel like when you get to 20, that's where it's like, OK, who's uh, who's still feeling good? Um, who, who can last this last 10K? Um, and, that, and that's when I feel like it really strung out. And I forget, I think it was 22 where the course has like a bridge. And I remember um, people telling yeah, me, is like, it, oh, that is at 22 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. People saying, like, get to the bridge and feel good. <laughs> so uh, so that was a landmark I had in mind. Um, but yeah, I'd say, yeah, definitely through half, we had a pretty solid group. And then it kind of just started to thin out. Now, as it was thinning out, Henry, was there a point amongst the people that you were around where folks started to become more communicative in terms of supporting each other or maybe even talking to themselves throughout the race or any sort of vibes in terms of like that, that collective group goes from, okay, we're calm, we're relaxed, we're just kind of moving as a group towards, okay, now we're really trying to make this happen and there has to be, or potentially is, some communication that's associated with that. Yeah. And again, like I, like I said, I, I feed off, you know, helping someone or being near someone and like having that communication. So I remember kind of going, coming up next to guys and just being like, Hey, like, how are you doing? And he's like, you know, they're saying, Oh, I'm good. And you kind of just sit next to each other and like, okay, now we're buddies. Um, and yeah, I think 13 to 18 was where, um, you, you wanted to still like, you, you don't want to attack at that point. Right. Coach, my coach Kerr said like, wait till six miles to go. Like that's, that's when you need to still feel smooth and you feel like you can attack. And I think, um, if you felt like you were attacking at that point, that's where you're going to notice the the breathing of some runners to maybe start getting elevated. Um, and then as, when they got to 20, it was like, uh, like kind of hitting that, hitting that wall. Um, so my focus was work with someone, whoever's around you. Um, cause of that, again, like I said, <laughs> In the beginning, Aaron and I got split up, but we stayed that same distance apart. So I like didn't move up fully to get him, but I did kind of find someone near me that I could just kind of have a quick chat with and be like, hey, how you doing? Let's work together. Because um, I think, you know, if the, the more you can thrive off someone's energy, the, the better you're both going to do. Now, Katie, how about your group? What was the what was the group dynamics for you? Not just in the first half, but in terms of when things started to get more serious as you're approaching, you know, miles 16, 18, 20 and things like that. Yeah, actually, I do remember our group slowly growing as the race went on. So it started off as me and Angela, just two of us. And then we picked up another woman, maybe about 10K. And we all stuck together. And then were people speeding were coming... up or were people coming back to you? You know, I think some people were speeding up and we're like, oh, hey, like hop in with us. We're on target. We're good. And then some guys would start joining us and then we'd start catching some women and then some women behind would come up. So we kind of slowly went from this like just two person group to like probably 15 or so, 15 or 20. And it was definitely a mixture of like women and men. Um, but I really tried to stick like side by side with Angela because I felt like we were in a rhythm, like our legs were literally in sync and it just felt comforting to have her right next to me. So we did everything we could to like stay together. Um, and yeah, I do remember probably same thing around that, maybe like 15, 16, 17 mark, some women starting to fall off, some gaps kind of forming and you're just like, oh, hang in there, hang in there. I do remember we all let out a little like, woohoo 
at halfway. And then I remember when Angela was like, hey, we're in single digits, nine to go. So we had little check marks like that that we would celebrate. Um, but we were pretty quiet for the most part. But I agree with like exactly what Henry was saying. There's so much camaraderie and like bonding that happened in that moment. Even though we were complete strangers, we were definitely like sharing fuel and words of encouragement and all that. And I do remember getting to 20 feeling incredible. I couldn't believe it. You know, my training was so rocky. I was just so proud that my knee was holding up and I was in no pain. I felt so controlled, felt incredible. And then two miles later at like 22, I was like, (laughs) got super nauseous. And it was like, I started to fall off. And that's where I was like, no, you know, I saw them. But at that point, you know, I knew we had a bit of a buffer and I wasn't too worried. Just had to like get through the last four miles the best I could. And so, yeah, I remember I was the one that started to fall off. All right. We're going to talk about that in a second, because I'm sure there's going (laughs) to be people who fall into that same genre. Right. Like no one has there's not a lot of people who have the perfect GI day. And if they do great, wonderful. But like people also have to plan for what if. Right. Like if this happens, how am I going to react? So I want to I want to get there in a second before we do, because you were in front of. The, de- the designated pace group, how conscious were you and Angela and maybe other people in the group of the paces you were running? Yeah. So actually something that I hadn't realized or ever experienced was our watches were not uh, in sync with the mile markers, right? So that's very typical in a big race and a marathon that your watch, like the GPS is a little bit on the fritz. So I just remembered if it just beeped like if wherever it beeped, if it was like pretty consistently, I think I was hitting like six tens on my watch. I was like, if I can just keep hitting that over and over again, then I'm good. And honestly, I wasn't worried about anything going on behind me. I literally was just like one foot in front of the other. Like, don't worry about anything else except like maintaining your rhythm, counting your breaths. Like I count my steps and my breathing. So I know what pace I'm running. And um, I just like tried to focus on that and be dialed in. That seems incredibly complicated. Do you do that? Do other no, people you, do this? I didn't know this was a thing. Katie needs to have her own like podcast on her breathing thing. You should let her talk about it for a second because it's mind blowing. <laughs> Tell me how to breathe. Katie. All right, all right. Slight, slight diversion. What again? I, I think I've read about this, but I was like, that, that no one does that. I remember thinking that when when I read an article about this one time. I I swear this is the greatest skill that I developed in college. My college coach Steve Spence, who's an absolute legend, was really big on counting your breathing. So there's breathing patterns. There's a whole bunch of different ones, you know, different step patterns. And I was using two two breathing. So two breaths in, two breaths out is one count. And I just count that over and over and over and over again. And it's gotten to the point where I can do like. On the track at 200 meters, I know what breath I should be at, like what count I should be at to be on pace. So I've gotten to the point where I know exactly what pace I'm running based on my breathing count. It's kind of wild. Um, And it took a while to develop. But anyway, that's how I know I'm super locked in and focused in a race. (laughs) All right. I mean, who needs a GPS watch, right? I mean, she's the least. I mean, (laughs) that's incredible. I mean, I feel right now trying to envision it the same way I feel like if I see like a really good drummer who's doing things with like both hands and both feet, I'm like, I don't understand. How do, how do you regulate all that at the same time? <laughs> yes. It took a while to develop, but <laughs> all right. it works. So mile 2022 20, ish. Again, do not have to get into the graphic detail here, but talk to me about when things started not to go well, how you handled it, not just from like physically, but mentally and emotionally, because again, there goes the people you were running with down the road, right? And you had 
serious goals going into the race. So I'd love to hear about this so that other people can plan for handling something along these lines as well. Yeah, I I knew that fueling was going to be one of the question marks for me. Um, I didn't really think the pace was going to be an issue. Um, as long as the knee held up, I knew I could get through it. It was more fueling that was a big question mark. I hadn't really ever had experience with it. I honestly didn't practice a ton, which honestly is a rookie error. I highly recommend you practice fueling your gels and your fluids at marathon pace throughout your entire buildup. But um it started to hit around 2022, actually 22, because I remember thinking at 20, I feel incredible and I'm ready to start pushing. And then at 22, I just felt the need to, I started to get very nauseous and it didn't like I'm come throw out until up over the, this bridge. Yes, literally. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I, I do remember feeling, you know, I started to, that gap just started to form and I was like, oh, here we go. And just like mentally definitely was battling two things. One, it was like, you have a job to do, get it done. And two, I'm absolutely terrified of throwing up. Like, please help me. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. So it was, I think, three or four miles of feeling, no, it was, yeah, three miles of feeling nauseous. And then at 25, threw up three times, felt amazing after that, and just like sprinted as hard as I could the last like 800 meters to, <laughs> to get it. I, I knew we were going to get there. I was waiting for the punchline, and there it came, yeah. mile 25. So in Boom. retrospect, would you advise past Katie to maybe let it fly a little earlier and not to like hold it in that during those little, the, that, that three agonizing three mile stretch? You know, it's funny because, yeah, I was like, when is it going to happen? It was one of those things where I wasn't holding it back. It just wasn't happening yet, you know, and I sorry, it's so gross, but. It just, no, it's like, fine. Nothing, this, yeah. this is going to happen to people. It, yeah. Whether they're a potential OTQ runner or they're just a normal runner. It's yeah. like, I don't know how to handle the situation. Which one should I totally. do? I'm not sure. Like, obviously, you you know, you went through it. So, whatever. Yeah. Looking back, I wish I could have told myself, like, hey, you're fine. You're, you, you're you going to throw up at some point and you're going to feel amazing. So, like, just stay on it. <laughs> and I think I only slowed down maybe 20 seconds a mile. Like, it wasn't a huge blow up or anything, but it, it was enough for me to be a little bit worried over those last few miles where I was like, you're kidding. I've made it this far and I might not make it. So. Right. It's so also like at that point in the race, the road doesn't turn unless you're 200 until you're 200 meters from the finish line. So you could literally see them all yes. the way, you know, totally. Um, so and that's did that, when I think did, some of those women were passing me that were in that pace group. Um, definitely. I was starting to get past and I was like, Oh my goodness. But I knew that they, since they were still around me that I was still okay. Um, so yeah. Did it did it affect your fueling? Like, did you anticipate, did you say, not anticipate, but were you planning on taking gels between miles 22 and 25? And did, did your nausea affect your fueling plan? I think in an ideal setting, sure. Absolutely. Keep fueling. But there was no way I was going to be able to take anything down. Actually, it started right. even at okay. like 16. I started to feel like a little like, ugh. So I, I think I only took maybe two gels the entire race. Like I couldn't, I really struggled to get it down. Um, so I don't know. It was a little crazy, but <laughs> working this on is it. Why we gotta, this is why like you mentioned practicing at marathon pace is important, not just practicing at easy pace, especially if you're easy pace and your marathon pace, there's a huge differential. Absolutely. I think there's a ton of value in stashing your gels. It's just like a dress rehearsal, like taking it out, opening it, learning how to like 
take down fuel while breathing hard and running at marathon pace and you know how long should i extend that gel out for and just the logistics so, of how, so, what, so what's the normal breath count with gel in hand <laughs> is there is there a special <laughs> hold on it's 1.75 breaths with gel <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Henry, as you approach the final four miles, or you cross the bridge, that's a, a major, you know, not the CM has a ton of landmarks, but that's one of them, right? Four miles out bridge. So you cross that bridge, you're with the group. Talk to me about where you were mentally, emotionally, and physically with four miles to go and how aware you were of like, your overall pacing and how, and how close or not close you were to that 219 line. Yeah, I think uh, a friend of ours who had been live tracking me texted me after saying like you gave me a heart attack because <laughs> I think I came through half at like maybe like two two 2.19.05. So I was like might have been a little slow. Um, and as you can tell right now, the way I talk about it, like I, I didn't focus too much on on my current pace. I was like, if I'm running with these guys, we're, we're going at the right pace. Um, so I got to the bridge still feeling OK. That was kind of like the big what if because, again, I had never done this before. So I was like, how am I going to feel? I'm not sure. Um, unlike Katie and kind of what she had said earlier, like I had to take the gels early and often. Um, I think I started right at 5k. I was like, why wait? Let's just get this started. Um, and you know, the two things together, gel and water made a huge difference. You know, I'd start to start feeling not great and then it would be, Oh, there's an aid station. Um, and then again, start feeling not great, get a gel, you know, and just kind of feel that bump as you go through the race. Um, I, I will just say I'm, I'm probably jinxing myself right now, but I'm lucky with you know, my stomach. I, I haven't had issues uh, with the gels uh, or, you know, having any uh, any other issues along the course. Um, so felt lucky with that as well. Um, and then I got to that part. And I forget how many blocks it is, but I, I swear it's like a thousand blocks at least. The, the last four miles as you go down, I'm like, where is the turn? Um, and I was running with, I saw my friend John, unfortunately, I kind of had to pull off at that point. So, and, uh, you know, seeing that is definitely like, a, uh, I want to help my friend, but like, you're obviously, you know, in, in game mode right now. Um, and yeah, just, I knew I had to run like, roughly a five eight fifteen or something i was like okay I, I i'm good i think as long as i like maintain um and then that's at that point in the race maintaining also feels like running as hard as you can uh so it was just like still be smooth and fast as my coach kurt always says is smooth this fast so i was like keep your form run smooth um and just like to just maintain the effort you have or, or like ratchet up a little bit, try to maintain the pace. Cause again, like I said, that last four miles or whatever along that, uh, along that one straightaway, it feels like it takes an eternity. Um, so you just kind of work with whoever you can that's around you and um, just, you know, keep your form all the way down the, the last straight. Now you mentioned before that being in a group and being kind of like, I mean, not extroverted, not like you're a chatterbox, but like being somewhat extroverted in the group is something that works well for you in those conditions. In those last four miles, did you kind of maintain that same orientation or do you become more insular as like your body starts to kind of break down and you need to really kind of hone in on what you're what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of make or break time. So um, if you've been working with someone and you need to run a uh, slightly higher effort um you need to do what you need to do and you know you obviously hope and want everyone to succeed and uh, achieve their goals obviously but um, at that point it's like 
if, if, I, if this little change in my rhythm of running is going to get me there, then I need to do that. Um, and it was probably a mixture, like kind of what Katie was saying. Like I, I had guys going by me for sure that had a lot left in the tank and that were kicking hard. Um, and I was going by maybe a couple guys here and there as well. Um, at that point, it's 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 just like a blur, and you you hear the the, the shouting, and people are telling you how close you are and how many more miles. Yeah, um, but you can't trust that. No, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, wait a second. <laughs> um, and, and I swear it's longer than you that. You probably heard your first almost there at like mile eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta love those, right? Halfway through, you're you're doing it. You're almost there. Thanks. Um, but yeah, no, that the last part of that race is uh is yeah definitely um the crowd definitely lifts you you know that and that's a big part of it too so henry when did you become aware that you actually were close like was it seeing the capital were there other like landmarks was it maybe seeing someone on course and maybe it was just the time like maybe you're like hey it's 212 like i'm obviously pretty close here like what what was the the point where you were like okay this long straightaway is now coming to the final kind of u-turn like the quick the, the two quick lefts that people take to the, the finish line Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe like kind of opposite of what Katie, I think from 20 to 22, like where she started having that stomach issue is like where I was like, okay, the, if I feel like this now, I have a chance. Um, and then, like I said, I think I saw maybe, yeah, maybe around mile 24. And I knew what I had to do for that la- roughly that last two mile. And I was like, I can do that. Um, and then when you get to that point in the race, I think also because you've been told, it might be just like a little bit of confirmation of like, if you feel this way, you will be able to finish and, and run fast. Um, so I think knowing that going in, going into those last few miles, um, knowing the, that I felt pretty solid and was like, I can do this. Um, that's another change in your mindset of like, okay, let's go. Let's keep running smooth. Let's keep running hard. So I'd, I'd say around like, yeah, 22, I was like, I think I can do this and just trying to finish it up. And how about you, Katie? When did the realization that you were pretty close to finishing this thing, when did that when did that start to percolate? Yeah, again, I think through like 2022, I felt really, really good and felt confident. I usually show my average pace on my watch so that as long as I'm within that average, you know, below that or around that, I'm good. And my watch was still showing that even when I was having a couple miles of nausea and um all of that. And I remember at 25, I threw up three times in that mile. And then at half a mile to go, this one girl came up to me and was like, you can do it. Like, stay with me. We're on target. Like, you're fine. Because I started to panic. I, I was like, oh my gosh, like how much more do we have? And she's like, you're good. You're good. And I just took off. Honestly, I just started sprinting because I was like, I'm not leaving this up to anything. Like, I didn't know if I was going to have to stop again. So I was like, I'm just going to haul. <laughs> As hard as how I far can were, How this. far away were you? Do you remember like how what, what time it was? Do you have was any other markers? It was 800, 800 meters, and I looked at my watch, and I literally was like, "I have fifty-six you... breaths." <laughs> I was like, "You need to go now!" Like, I, I it was getting too close for comfort for me, where I was like, "I'm not leaving this up to it." Kind of what Henry said, like, I don't want to just stay with someone and and assume that they're correct. So I was like, "I'm just gonna start." I literally, I think I started like sprinting. I was just running as hard as I could, and once I made the turn and saw the clock, oh yeah, felt a, a little relief there. What would the clock say? Oh my gosh. I think it had just, it was just about to flip to 244 or something like that. And, right. you know, it was right in and that I think mark. People I was like, see I the can pictures. finish in a minute. 
Yeah. Right. And people see the pictures of the CIM finish line from the point of view of someone like behind the finish line, looking at the runners coming to them. And I remember seeing these pictures before I'd ever been to CIM thinking that this was like some sort of like long stretch. Right. To people coming right. into the finish line. It is not. It is a very, it's like 75 meters or something. Like it, is, it is pretty quick right there. Like, you know, so it's, it's a really, it's a really short time, which again, once you cross that, that uh, that threshold of like making that left hand turn, that second left hand turn, because basically you're running down this major long street. People don't know for like four miles. Then you take basically the finish line is on a parallel street one block over. So you're just like a left and a left, and then you're coming back towards the Capitol. Mm-hmm. So you turn the corner, you see 244 had just clicked over. You know this again. It's not that it doesn't take you a full minute to get to this distance. Yeah. What? Again, this is four years ago, but can you recall the the thoughts, the emotions, what was going on as you were approaching that finish line? Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget that, um, how it felt. I still get like, emotional thinking about it because it was just such a, a difficult road to get to that starting line. And then I couldn't even believe I was like getting to the finish line in that time to qualify for Olympic trials. Like my mind was definitely exploding. I just felt so much gratitude and... I saw the women all standing there. The amazing thing about that year, and I'm sure if you've seen video of it or if you watched it or you were there, all the women that had finished stayed in the finish line corral and just were cheering and screaming for all of us to come in. And I just remember seeing them like arms out and we were just like (laughs) immediately embraced. You know, you have all these women just rolling in, um, counting down the seconds. And it just was this like incredible feeling it gives me like goosebumps still you know just these women who are complete strangers are just like invested in each other yeah and the picture what are the indelible pictures of that finish line experience that i recall to this day is one of you that i got right <laughs> now the, the the photographer who took the picture i don't recall the name and uh i mean it's it an incredible photo the same what was that i believe it's luke weber okay all right, and, but your your arms are extended, like the emotion of it. I mean, it it is truly a wonderful scene, and and people <laughs> can recall like there was just a flood of these pictures and videos coming out that weekend. It was phenomenal. Henry, same question to you. You're you know you 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 see the Capitol Mall coming on your left. You know for sure. Okay, like I'm here. I know I'm very close to the finish line. Can you walk me through your final 800 or so meters and and the emotions and kind of your response during that time? Yeah, those the last eight hundred is just it's a it's a different feeling that I, that I never felt ever. Um, the amount of energy that the marathon like slowly drains out of you, and then coupling with like the, the emotional side of it, where you're just like, will I, won't I? Um, and then when you feel like I can do this, it's like you have to kind of temper that a little bit so you don't go start running too fast at, a, at the wrong point and cramp up. So you have to like play this weird balance um, as you're mm-hmm. also slowly being, you know, run into the ground by yourself. Um, and then you, you make that turn. It's just like a, a wave of relief um, seeing the clock. Um, and while it's only 75 meters, uh, I remember being at least another mile. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, you, you feel like just, I just remember feeling like, I don't know how I did this. I don't know how my, my body feels awful right now, but like still somehow moving forward. 
um and just i i'm embarrassed to say but i did do like the kipchoge like i hit my chest twice <laughs> like <laughs> i just ran 218 <laughs> um and then i just saw my teammate aaron had who had already finished and that just you know was the the icing on the on the on the top there and um and yeah then having katie come in afterwards it was just an amazing day that is for sure i mean you know we've we've just done like almost 70 straight minutes talking about this we could talk for another hour right just going through like you know the 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 intricacies of the race the emotions after the fact and even the years after the fact right so you guys you know you're you're still in the running community you're still very involved in this sport at the same time we do have to call it quits at some point here in terms of this podcast episode so before we get going you guys did a wonderful job of detailing the entire process I guess I would ask both of you this question before we get going is if you have any advice for people who are going to be doing the same exact thing that you did four years ago, what advice would you give them, especially if maybe this is their first time around doing this process? So not someone who maybe was in the same group as you last time and they are well aware of this. This is for those new folks who are trying this process out. They have high hopes, but they're also nervous and they want to have their best day possible. Katie, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, I would say anything can happen. So trust your training and trust your ability. I think the biggest thing is just feeling confident in in what you can do and believing in the work that you've already put together. And then just staying as calm and as patient for as long as possible. I remember like, yeah, you just want to be composed and controlled and like run the best race for yourself on that day. And if that means running in a pace group, run in the pace group. If that means being ahead and doing your thing, go do that. Like, do whatever it is that you need to do to feel confident and comfortable on the day and then just believe in in your ability to get it done. How about you, Henry? I'd say don't don't be surprised. You will surprise yourself like I surprised myself. And you know, like Katie said, trust the process you have put in to get to get to the line. Um and you know, execute your plan and anything can happen. Just like Katie said, just you know, trust that you have that work in there. Um it's gonna take a monumental effort but like you have the ability if you know you've done all the training race day is just that that celebration of all the the hard work you've put in that's great stuff all right katie henry thank you so much for joining us also we should say you guys you guys are married now we didn't even talk about this at all we should say you weren't married when this race happened in 2019 just so for the listeners when did you get married we got married uh, February this year, February 23rd, 2023, like two weeks after I qualified for the trials. Henry had already qualified. So now we're a married couple going to the trials. <laughs> Woo. This is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> I know. Honeymoon in Orlando, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you.